You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered chumpacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, it's everyone's favorite set of nipples. Drew Gasparini here with another episode of Now We're Talking, the podcast that other podcasts use as an example of what not to do. Today's episode is very special for me. Not only was this the very first episode I recorded, but I got to learn a lot about a very dear friend of mine. You might know him from his numerous appearances on Broadway in shows such as The Revivals of Hair, Les Mis, and Sunday in the Park with George. He's acted on The West End in London, and done work for television. Along with Alex Brightman, F. Michael Haney, and myself, he is one of the lovable morons, and he's one of my favorite people on Earth. Ladies and gentlemen, now we're talking with Andrew Kober. Do you think Gasparini is too... Oh, I don't even know if I should say this. Ethnic? Is it too? Uh, is it no, too... I think it's really catchy. I think it grabs the ear. No, the, the your your success problems are not. You can't blame them on your name. No, you're right. No, it's the lack of talent and yeah. uh, everybody Drive. else's lack of confidence in myself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I, I lack I lack complete uh, confidence in others' confidence in me. But I myself have an amazing amount of confidence in myself. It's an astonishing uh, world you've created for yourself. Yes, and only I live in this world. It's, <laughs> I know, it's fun. <laughs> that's, I like it's it fun here. to it's get safe. to visit from time to time and see what's going on. <laughs> well, thanks for visiting me today. Uh, but back to, back to what I was saying. There is a reason right. I have you here today. Because you're obsessed uh, with me. I am. Andrew Kober, I'm obsessed with you. You and yeah. I have been friends now for about a decade. Is that correct? Is that track in your mind? Uh, something like that. I guess it was... Right? Um, yeah, that, that seems about right to me. This was in the heyday of, you know, there's there's like high schoolers who are into musical theater and they don't remember this era mm. of new mm. mu- the height this of era. newmusicaltheater.com. Yeah, and Oklahoma met... was burning up the stages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rogers and Hammerstein had their first big hit. Sheldon exactly. and Bach were coming down yeah. the pipe. <laughs> and that's when you and I were just coming up. You yeah. and I were just coming up in the era of greats in this yeah. golden age this of musical 2010. theater. 2010. Wicked was already in its like ninth year. <laughs> Not that long ago. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. So this is like, yeah, about a decade ago, this website, newmusicaltheater.com was emerging and they would do these concerts. You and I met at one of these concerts. It would feature the work of these new uh, up and coming yahoos. I'm one of those yahoos. That and you right. were one of the, the talented singing yahoos. I was a writing yahoo. You were a singing and performing yahoo. That's right. And we met at a bar in the concert. I don't remember, but it was it was immediate infatuation with me. Well, as Uh, I remember, (laughs) as I recall, I was there singing the work of another composer. I was asked to sing someone else's work and I was singing that and happy to be there doing it. And I think there were maybe two or three young composers as a part of the bill. Right. And like, yes, there were they each did a couple of songs and that was the thing. And I had finished my little contribution to the evening and settled in i think i I think we were probably first and i was still young my little contribution to the evening is like god i wish everyone knew you the way i know you because what a cobra phrase that was well my little contribution to the evening well you know Uh, anyway now nowadays if say i i'm performing at a like let's say there's a 54 below right and i've been asked to sing one song at a 54 below Mm -hmm. um what I tend to do is during my introduction, I order the Uber. Then I go up <laughs> and I sing the song 
And then I can walk straight from the stage up the stairs into the car if I time it just right. Now, I know that this is a bit hyperbolic, but like, do you actually? Absolutely. absolutely. Have you actually indeed like ordered an Uber before... Yeah, on my before as like our, your song. the next singer coming to the stage was in this. Yeah, I'm over there by the sound booth. If you ever see me on my phone, it's, I'm, I'm over there. Well, this is before I moved to the suburbs. Now that I usually now that I'm uh, live in New Jersey, I, I drive in myself, and so I have my own car sure. there. But when sure. we were living in the city, absolutely, that would be my move. But this was when wow. I was still young, so I, I yes. finished my contribution, whatever mm-hmm. it may have been, and and yes. I settled in. I was like, I'm out. We were, I think it was downtown. We were in Tribeca, as I recall. Yeah, ninety two Y. Ninety two Y Tribeca. Yep. Right. And I heard your set, and I don't remember what songs or what singers, but I remember going like, "That's that's music I want to be singing. That's that's wow." That's the kind of thing that I, I'd like to be uh, engaged with. And oh. so I was still kind of young and spunky. And so I, I think I came up and I introduced myself to you after the show was over. And it was immediately after this meeting, you lost 90 to 98% of that spunk, I believe. But, yeah, it yeah, was pretty I, quickly. I remember the brief spunkiness of Andrew Coburn. It was a fun time um, to know me. So yes, so back to the whole original point of this, I've known you since that fateful day at 92Y, about 10 years ago, when both of us had a lot less facial hair and a lot more spunk and probably a lot more patience with the world. Here we are, a little older, a little hairier, a little grumpier perhaps, I don't know. But the truth is, Andrew Kober, is I realized in my decade of knowing you, I know very, (laughs) very little about you. And the remarkable thing about our friendship is that every Everyone is aware that we are friends, mm. but nobody knows who you are. Mm. Like people, people who, you well, know, whatever. Hold on. Let's, I'm going to push back on that. <laughs> when you say nobody knows who I am. Yes. Yeah, so let me put it this that, way. What does that mean? In, in the detail that they might know, uh, you and I are, I'm going to call it a, a stupid collective. We are mm. a part of what has become quite a stupid collective of gentlemen called the morons. Right. Uh, if you mention Alex Brightman... If you mention his name three times, he'll appear out of your toilet and kiss your hiney. <laughs> if everyone knows the billboard, uh, the face of these billboards in Times Square of Alex Brightman, Ale- uh, F. Michael Haney sticks around because he doesn't take an Uber after the shows he performs. And so people get a chance to meet F and F is there. He's present. That's right. Andrew Cobra dips. No I one dip. gets a chance to really get to meet the man. And I'm starting to realize that I'm one of those people who never <laughs> really got a chance to meet the man. And uh, what led me to want to talk to you in particular was uh, this picture that you posted of your dad. And this is all going to loop into the I'm obsessed portion of this. Great. Uh, because a lot, not like Seth Rudetsky, we're going to, we're going to branch outside of theater and kind of go back to what brought you uh, to, to theater. We're going to get to hair. We're going to get to Les Mis. We're going to get to all the other wonderful things you've done on Broadway. For those of you who don't know Andrew Kober the way that I, that I do professionally, the man does not stop working. You can't see this, but right in front of me, he is literally displaying these beautifully framed posters of every Broadway show he's ever done. It's nice to have a shrine to yourself. Meanwhile, I'm in my parents' garage where my yeah. mom has just not framed, but thumbtacked up yeah. Community theater productions of Once Upon a Mattress. I don't even think I was in half of these shows. I think she (laughs) finds these at garage sales around the Bay Area. Um, Anyway, so I saw this picture of you. Mm. Not not of you, that you posted uh, of your father. Yeah. And uh, a fun thing about Andrew Kober, he's got this last name Kober, and it kind of punnily falls into Kober Ray, which is, Mm. uh, is is a show that Andrew has done in kind of this little... Uh, not very frequent or consistent series, but you've done it a number of times. People get to know a bit about you. You talk about your dad, and I'm just going to go right out of the gate and say, that is a loss. Your dad passed away while you were a young and impressionable guy. I've not, (laughs) outside of the context of Cobra Ray, I really haven't heard you talk about your father or your family or your upbringing, and that's where I want to start today. Wow, is, I like is, the idea of being mysterious. It's not something yeah, I've the ever allure is, myself to be. The allure is amazing. And just rest assured, you'll maintain your mystique because three okay. people will listen to this and they will be my That's mom, true. my dad, and uh, a sock puppet that I keep nearby. <laughs> let's, let's just start at the beginning, man. You great. have such a great career in the arts. 
And uh, Cobra Ray, I'll just go ahead and kind of brief people who haven't seen Cobra Ray, which I hope comes back one day because it is actually quite heartwarming and wonderful. And you're just an amazing performer, as, as, I, as we all know. Uh, but you you do go into a little bit of, of your youth and theater. Let's yep. go back a little bit before that when you were like young, young kid. What was the household like? Where were you raised? Tell me everything. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting that uh, the timing of this is interesting because I've just, you can't see it. No one can see it, including you who can see me. Mm -hmm. But I've got right next to me a pile of probably two dozen VHS tapes from like all the shows I've done in my youth. This is one of my my like COVID projects is I'm digitizing all these old tapes. And so like this time is all very, very um, fresh to me right now because I've been looking back at all these tapes. So I grew up in um, Shaker Heights, Ohio. It's a suburb of Cleveland. Sure. Um, I was born in Washington, D.C., but we moved when I was a baby to Ohio because of my dad's work. And what did uh, your dad do? Business. I mean, that's <laughs> really like... And the mystique continues. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he worked in business. He worked for a company called Ernst & Young, uh, which is really best known as the company. They hold the briefcase with the results at the Oscars. You know, oh, like, yes. only these accountants know the real. I was going to say, like, even the name Ernst & Young sounds like like something in Guys and Dolls. Like, it yeah. already sounds like there's some sort of showbiz background there. So, yeah, okay, that's interesting. That's it's really it's cool. business. And he was a partner at business. And he, <laughs> he was doing business in Washington. And then they moved him to Ohio to do some business there. And so all the same job, though. You were moving around and he yeah. had the same job the whole time. Wow. Okay. Well, that's I mean, the the other kind of interesting thing is that he uh, was a much he was a really old uh, father. Uh, when I was born, he was uh, 51 or 52. Like he was pretty old to have a new child. Yeah, I'm, that is his, old. I'm his only child. I'm an only child. Um, Sperm and, is an amazing thing, isn't it? Well, uh, sure. Is that not where you were going with this? Nope. That's the whole point. Oh, gotcha. Great. Uh, so we moved to Ohio. So he retired when I was in grade school. I mean, he, you know, when he was 60 or so, um, he retired, which was great. And he, uh, you know, my, I got along great with my parents and it was a nice upbringing. It was a nice town. Uh, there, my, neither of my parents are in any way um, musical or involved in the arts, uh, aside from being great appreciators of the arts. Um, sure. And my dad, I, I always say that my dad raised me on a, a diet of like half Gilbert and Sullivan operettas and half New York Yankees. Like that's See, the recipe is, for me. How, 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 how <laughs> I, I, I'm, honest to God, I really mean this. And this is not a put down to Gilbert and Sullivan, but how do you just like listen to that shit recreationally? <laughs> if you're not involved in the arts and appreciating the, you know, the rapid fire lyrics that come out, why, what are you listening to that shit for? It's pretty good, honestly. Like some of it, like <laughs> he stands by it. <laughs> I'll stick up for for Gilbert Sullivan. Absolutely. Like HMS Pinafore, Parts of Penzance, Mikado. Like there are some really, really good shows, and we had yes. tapes. We had VHS tapes of uh, the Doily Cart Opera Company, which was this um, English theater troupe that I think only did Gilbert Sullivan. And so we had tapes and we would sit and we'd watch the tapes of them doing these Gilbert Sullivan musicals. And so then uh, when I went to fifth grade, the school play that year was Pirates of Penzance. It was a Gilbert Sullivan show. So I auditioned and I got a good part and, uh, and that was it. I mean, like that was the entree and it's, it's, um, I didn't really realize until recently watching these tapes, how cool it must've been for my parents who were such Gilbert Sullivan fans that, I was doing Gilbert and Sullivan at age eleven or whatever. Right. Um, also, so, age yeah, 11. that was yeah Good for you. Well, it was like I was, you know, fifth or sixth grade. I was, I think, following my then girlfriend to the drama club too. That was part of it. The fifth and sixth grade girlfriend. We're going to talk about that right now, actually. Uh, right. Just because what? Who is that? And let's just shout her out. What's her name? Do you know her name? Well, her, of course, her name is Lauren Gaber. She you guys uh, in touch? Yeah, sort of generally. Uh, and she... how far did you guys go? <laughs> fifth or sixth grade <laughs> really it was intense my she, man lauren uh she was like really involved in theater and in, in drama and singing and and she really kind of pulled me into all of that which is great yeah and uh she ended up she stuck with it she went to marymount manhattan on a vocal jazz major and she's hey. like a fantastically talented singer 
How about um, that? Your old flame. That's amazing. I know. I know. So uh, I joined the drama club, and then she brought me over to some like youth theater stuff in the area, Cleveland. The Cleveland suburbs weirdly have like an incredibly vibrant um, and rich youth theater scene. And so I was involved yeah. in several different youth theaters playing all of the great old men roles available to me. So uh, uh, can you explain why you think you got old man roles? Because I'm curious. <laughs> well, I have a... Uh, well, You I was always a, I was have a... had, as far as I've known you, you've <laughs> always kind of had an older man... A, a, an amount of gravity. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> But it was also like a taller kid and a bigger kid, and mm-hmm. um, I was, uh, you know, a, I was a, I was a good singer pretty early. Yeah. And so I, uh, yeah, but I also I I think that at a pretty young age I was able to command a modicum of authority, even in a like a young body and face and voice. Yes. Uh, so yes. like you know even in middle school and high school I was playing like Daddy Warbucks and uh, you know <laughs> Captain Hook and all that. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> I love that shit. I just love when it's like a 12-year-old girl playing Widow yeah. Peru. You know what I mean? Like, that yeah, that yeah. shit always makes me laugh. Yeah, I was good, too. I'm re-watching some of these tapes. I'll tell you what. I just re-watched me doing Captain Hook the other day, and, and I was talking to my wife, and she was like, yeah. I wasn't watching that. I was like, to be honest, I wouldn't change a thing. Like, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Even as an adult performer, no, I was I would, like, on the money. If it was today, that's about as good as I could hope for. That was it. Once, once you did digitalize is that digitize is that the digitize phrase? i think Digi- yeah. once you digitize this content are you going to upload it anywhere is this just no. for your no oh, it's just okay. for me and i'm gonna like send it around to the people i'm still in touch that are also in those videos i so. would actually really like to see these i think you should incorporate them into the next cobra ray maybe i mean there's a clip i think uh, there's actually a few clips of the original cobra ray in the like grown-up cobra ray yes um, so that's uh so we've got those as a kind of a reference point love it um so your your upbringing getting into the drama club being this is what brings us up to high school or so yeah so then i was the, i was sort of the first uh <clears throat> it was a very big deal in the shakerite which was our uh, school paper that i was the first Jesus. freshman ever admitted to the chanticleers which of course was our uh sort of show choirish group although show choirish group i was gonna say that yeah show choirish group yeah. is what i was gonna guess Absolutely. yeah but we weren't we weren't none of there was no real dance it was more sort of like uh, we would sort of promenade around singing like Hernando's hideaway. This... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, ah. so I was admitted to the Chanticleers. I did more stuff in high school. And, and then mm-hmm. uh, I had a guidance counselor who was involved in the music department and he recommended checking out the, um, there was a pre-college program at Carnegie Mellon the summer between my junior and senior year where you yeah. kind of go and you go for six weeks and, you can see what it would be like to go to college for theater, which is something I was kind of considering seriously. And uh, I went to the pre-college program. And at the end of it, there's a, you do mock auditions. So you get an experience of what it's like to audition for colleges. Yeah. And then I got, a, I went home and then I got a letter a couple of weeks later. This was like right before I started my senior year of high school, offering me admission for the following fall to Carnegie Mellon. Right. So I said, okay. And I, I, um, Auditioned for a couple other schools. I auditioned at Juilliard and NYU. I did not get into those. They gave you a big loud no. They gave me a big fat A, a, no. a handwritten and framed no. <laughs> yeah. An emphatic and unapologetic no. Yeah, they send they send someone to your house to tell you is what I heard. Is that true? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It uh-huh. was unnecessarily direct. Uh, and I went off to CMU, which was a, a good spot for me to be. All right, let's stop. Let's let's stop right there and go back just a little bit because Good. part of what gets us to the colleges we go to for the arts or pursuing the career, it's it, it all starts with. I, I hate to be you know find our way in this way, but it is a way in. It all starts with something of an obsession. I want to mm. go back to your dad real quick. Yeah, you say he he brought Gilbert and Sullivan into your life. Uh, he retired at the age of sixty, so you were quite young when he retired. Yeah, so. Uh... I was quite young. I was probably in first or second grade. Then when I was in third grade, he had a stroke, which um, was physically disabling, but not at all mentally or verbally. And okay. so, at a, and I actually, I think this is um, the source of a lot of who I am, but because at a very young age, when I was, you know, eight or nine or something, my relationship with him, which up until that point had been like, you know, running around and playing catch and whatever, yeah. became yeah. we would sit and talk. And we would just sit and talk for, you know, that was our whole everything is sitting and oh, that's talking. A, that is a 
actual, this is why I'm loving talking to you right now. I <laughs> really, that is a beautiful thing. I was raised kind of a latchkey kid up until mm. uh, middle of high school. So I didn't have a ton of time with either my mom or my dad after school or anything. Right. And, you know, there were four of four of the Gasparini kids. There was one Andrew so Cobert. So many people. There's way too many. It's, it's, we have a little country here in the Bay Area. <laughs> but th- there's only one Andrew Cobert in the family. Mm. There's no other sibling. You no, got a me. lot of a lot of one-on-one time with. There was a cat. There was a cat. Well, yes, and we all know that your parents favored the cat. But when they had time to tolerate you, yeah, uh, and they would take time to talk with you, these conversations. Now that you're a father, like, do you look back and reflect on those conversations and the importance of them, or was that something you kind of lock in a vault of my sacred time with my dad, and you've just kind of moved on? And I'm, and you know, we can and <clears throat> and please. Push me off the subject if this no. gets a little too much, but I am I am endlessly curious because, like I said, I know a lot about you, but the details I don't know about you are very, very uh, human. They're familial, and they're they're portions of you I would like to know better as your friend, and I think as as someone who's had the career you've had, it's mm. always interesting to go back and see where the person came from. Yeah. So, uh, what were these conversations about or what were they like? And, and do you have any nuggets that you still kind of hold on to and apply to the conversations you might have with your adorable uh, four-year-old son, Asher? My kid's cute. It's, um, you know, I don't particularly remember any topics, to be honest. But I, yeah. I, I, there's something I noticed after he died, which is not – I'm not a, um, a spiritual person. Uh, and how old were you when he died? Just... I was 20, 21. 20 years old. I okay. just turned 21. I was a junior in college. Gotcha. And, uh, I, you know, I'm not a, a religious person or a, a faith-based person in any way. but And I don't really believe in any sort of mysticism. But after he died, I, I, I wouldn't say, like, I felt him in me or I feel him or anything like that. But I did become much more perceptive of the parts of me that I got from him. And right. And I started noticing that in my young adulthood and have, it has become much more apparent as I have, as I become a father. Yeah. You know, Asher's still, he's, he's about to turn five. And uh, so we're just kind of getting to the place where he's happy to like sit down and talk with me for a while about. Yeah. Something. There's proof um, of that on Instagram. Everybody should go check out the Asher and Daddy show. It of is course. it is the greatest content. And if 2020 was the year that needed content, holy shit, this is the stuff. <laughs> go check it out. Anyway, sorry uh, for the interruption. That's a nice plug. Uh, Farah, my wife, wants to monetize that thing so hard. She's we like, all this is the thing. This is we, it. This yes, is going to be hard. I want it to happen for you guys. Yeah, that's all we want. So uh, I think I'm pretty good at like throwing away a subject, right? Or making a quick joke to get out of a place that I don't want to be or whatever. My dad was uh, very deliberate about probing those, those kind of things, which is, um, which, which is something that I'm generally resistant to. Like my instincts are resistant to that, but you kind of deflect. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's much easier to kind of make a joke and get to something that's easier to talk about than it is sure, to kind of like probe the joke or probe that initial impulse or whatever it was. But I catch myself doing that with Asher all the time. And I catch myself doing that with a lot of my relationships all the time is I want to be the, I, I, I am happy to like interrogate much happier than I am to be interrogated. Sure. Um, and so I think I, I do see a little bit of it as I'm raising Asher, but Asher is also like young and he's so goofy in a way that I don't think I was like, I, I've never been a, a silly person. No, you, you, you have <laughs> never been a silly person yeah. in real life on yeah. stage. I have seen you be immensely silly and, and you know, yeah, but that's really good at the silly. job, you know, but my like my wife is pretty. She can be really silly. Sure, Spare is uh, a silly girl. She's a silly, silly <laughs> one. Uh, and Asher got a lot of her silliness, and Farah brings out the silliness in me too. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, you know I don't think it's comfortable for a lot of like nine or ten year olds to like sit down and have long ass conversations with adults, no, no matter right. who they are. But I got good at that pretty quick, and I got good at hanging with adults. I got good at sort of um, reading the room, whatever was going on and kind of matching that. And um, 
you know, like in these high school. These are really, kids. really adult skill sets. Yeah. I mean, these are really yeah. grown-up skill sets. And you were like 9, 10 when you said you started having these I started of... picking them up, yeah. And I, I, I was not a very good student ever because I was pretty lazy. I didn't like doing schoolwork. Yeah. But I was I, – I had gotten so good at talking to adults and like being a little bit charming yeah. with people that yeah. I, I talked my way out of every bad situation I ever found myself in. Isn't charm a superpower? It's an absolute superpower. Yeah. It really it is. is. And, and and I love when people are aware that they're charming. It, it kind of, you know. Well, I was I, at the time. I mean, like, it, because it saved my ass repeatedly. Like, right. I, I was very conscious of having to use that thing that I had developed to get out of the problem that another part of me had gotten me into. Well, you say saved your ass. I can't imagine you ever being some kind of troublemaker or rebel or anything no, like that. No, but I mean, like, you know, if I was five points from failing calculus or whatever... Oh God, I, I, son! I didn't even get into calculus. Let's <laughs> Jesus Christ! You're one of those. Oh, I got a B plus. Whoops! Shut no, up. No, no, oh no, no. I was not. I'm really talking about literally failing. Like I almost didn't graduate <laughs> high school because oh, wow. I just straight up wasn't doing homework. Like they would okay, assign homework. And be like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is shocking right now. I Honestly, know. you Cober speaks with such know how about almost every subject he he discusses it, you when it comes to piloting or the, the <laughs> arts or a credit card i learn more about my own credit <laughs> by talking to you um i mean there's stuff that interests me like I, i've never I, I wouldn't say that i was like not smart i've always i think i've always been a reasonably smart guy but yeah i i am or at least my nature is not to be especially hard working and so i i i, I am uh by nature, by default, pretty lazy, especially when it comes to something that I don't care that much about. Right. And uh, most of the topics we were covering in high school, I didn't care that much about. Oh, I was man, kind you of and like I are the same boat it. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of, I did things in high school, like at the beginning of each year, I would sit down with my teacher and be like, listen. <laughs> we both know this is not going to go well. So I want to get out of here. You Here's want me to get be. out of here. How yeah. can we? And I would literally make deals with some of these teachers where I'd be like, or they would say, okay, you really want to be a songwriter? I was like 14 and I knew, I just knew. Yeah. You really want to be a songwriter? Every Friday, I will curve your grade if you write a brand new song and perform it for the class every Friday. I'm not kidding. I'm sure there are students who might hear this who are going to hate me for saying something like that. But that's my idea of a good teacher is someone who recognizes that they just they have another path. And it's not bringing out the thing that the the student really wants and wants to excel at and and is built for. So you really found your community then within the theater world yeah Uh, and that's where you knew that your not just your strengths were but your interests lied and and you went on to a great college and you wanted to pursue kind of an amazing career before we get to that portion because that is coming up here oh is this going to be a commercial break no absolutely commercial break okay here's a quick commercial break and we're back andrew cober uh before we get into your career and uh and i want to maintain this this uh, theme of your childhood a little bit and your father okay. and all that kind of stuff. It's all going to oh, kind of loop in. But before we get to the career part of it, I really want to know, are you ready for the eye roll here? I don't know. What were you obsessed with? Oh boy. When you, <laughs> when you were, come on, man, it's the way in. It's the oh, title boy. of the show. Yeah, what great. were you obsessed with in, in uh, your youth? And I want to say pre-high school, because that's when our adult brains are starting to percolate. So like before then, what like cartoon or what actor were you obsessed with to the point that it maybe inspired you to go down this path? I mean, you mentioned Gilbert and Sullivan, but I refuse to believe that that was the only, I refuse. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that was really my parents' thing. Like, it was it was fun. I had a good enough time watching it, but it was really, like, their sure. thing. I remember being really interested in um, <laughs> sort of sort of, like, studying and analyzing, like, the social dynamics around me. Like, I remember sort of... In, in starting in middle school, feeling like I was getting a sense of these kind of clicks and what does that mean and how do I exist inside of it? And I remember spending a lot of time and even like drawing out graphs on pieces of paper like, all right, so these kids are over here and here's what they no like to way. do. No way. These guys are over here. And I remember just really thinking hard about that. That and I wanted to have the hair of Jonathan Taylor Thomas. He seemed to have <laughs> such a head of hair and I've never been confident about my hair. Oh, and you've got I great hair. That's kind of you. But he had such hair with he that did. beautiful center part. And I Everyone go thinking, Google images of JTT oh, right boy, now. In Absolutely. the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. And just thinking like, 
oh, if I could get hair like that. And then in one episode of Full House, Stephanie Tanner, who was the Tanner that I had a crush on, same. dated a yeah, well, obviously, uh, Jody Sweeten dated yeah. a boy with the same haircut, and I went, okay, something's happening here. Yeah, that yeah. hair does something, and I've got to figure it out. There was a lot of like trying to figure it out. Oh yeah, and oh yes, and that that became quite the theme in your Cobaret. Uh, figure it out, man. Got to figure it out. That's what this world is all about. Uh, I really want Cobra to come back, so I'm not going to give away too oh, much boy. of what you talk about in it because there's pressure for you. Listen, we got to start curating, man. The world's going to open back up. We're going to need art. We're going to need it from Andrew Cobra, and that's the fucking truth. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you had a little obsession with JTT's haircut. This is back in the era when you'd bring in like a Sears catalog and be like, him, <laughs> I want I want that haircut. Yeah. I go to yeah. a place called like the Panda Room. That was the name of this haircut <laughs> place I went to was for kids. And I would just point at like a celebrity like Zach from Saved by the Bell and be like, that oh, sure. haircut. Yeah. I could never have pulled that off. I just really wanted to like figure out how to fit. I like I was popular for like a half of one year. I was extremely popular for a second. What year was this? This was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was 1996. It was sixth grade. Wow. I was student council president. I was like, Ooh. I was dating Lauren Gaber, who was extremely popular. Oh, wow. I was the star of the school show. Like I, I was in. Yeah. And it in. all kind of fell apart after that. And I, when people didn't... realized how uncool theater was, was it around yeah, maybe. this time? Like, yeah. Oh, he's the kid from the theater thing. We're not going <laughs> to, no. Him? People, people caught you in the locker room jamming yeah. to Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, my uh, my other big obsession, which that leads to, is once I discovered theater, it was specifically the musicals of Andrew Lloyd Webber. That was it. Really? Oh, brother. So, I'll tell you what. I had those. You remember CD towers? Yeah. Okay. So the wire, usually wire. You could find yep. them at Tower Records or wherever. Yep. And some of them, but not all, had a few slots at the bottom for double discs right you know yes. for those double like the cast album size yes yes and i owned probably i don't know 20 cast albums let's say and uh, eight other cds and so i had like <laughs> like three or four of those like giant towers in my room that only the bottom slots were full because they were oh only the, like those double what a things. waste of those towers <laughs> What a a waste of the use of those towers. You only filled in the bottom eighth of it. Yeah. So I started, because I didn't know anything about like popular music. So I started buying like singles of songs that I would hear routinely at bar mitzvahs. Oh, like Um, Tub Thumper from Chumbawamba. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, like No Diggity by Blackstreet. Mm. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, uh, Waterfalls, stuff like that. And so I would kind of populate the towers with those, but it was mostly about just like not, looking to no one by the way no one was seeing them it was only for me but i i wanted to feel like i had a nice kind of well-rounded musical education or whatever but it was sure. really just andrew lloyd weber musicals that's what i would listen to constantly i gotta say this in your beard by the way just the beard on your face that i'm looking at says otherwise that beard on your face to me screams sondheim guy not andrew lloyd weber guy yeah, and you know, it's kind. Of, I look at it kind of like in the seventies. My dad always explained is like you either liked Led Zeppelin or you liked the Who. And, <laughs> and this is kind of where I live with the composers. It's like you're either a Sondheim guy or you're an Andrew Lloyd Webber guy. I know, I know, and I think that I've sort of tried to cultivate an image of being a Sondheim guy. And now, <clears throat> having worked with both of them, oh I think my goodness, I, little flex, <laughs> little flex. <laughs> but I, I, uh, 
I there are honestly Sondheim musicals that I've never heard a note of. Like I I don't know Passions. I don't know Little Night Music. Like sure. I don't know them at all. You don't know Little Night Music? Is you do Send in the Clowns? Is from I, Little well, Night I, I know, Music? I know I know Send in. I know the hits. Oh, oh you know the hits. <laughs> you know the A sides. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um but i i i never like got in that deep with song i think it's because the first shows i ever saw were phantom and sunset boulevard those were my first shows and so when i figured out that they were by the same dude i was like well this is it this is this dude is my whole thing and when you say you worked with him for those who don't know this when you were in school of rock you got you even got to play dewey in school of rock after our friend alex brightman did which i think is so hysterical well, you know what that show i so i alex had done the workshops Right. And then I, when they were initially casting, they were looking for an understudy. And I think I already knew that Alex was doing it or, or it was like close that Alex was going to be doing. I knew Alex was involved. And I went, well, if that's what they want, like mm. that, this is not the gig for me. Like, this yeah. is not, I mean, I think Al, you know, we were at opening night together. I think Alex was amazing in that show. Oh yeah. He, he rocked. And, uh, but I know that that is not a thing that I do. Like that is not, funny in the way that i am funny we are i think alex is an incredibly funny actor and i think yeah. i'm a little funny but we're you funny are funny really, but we're funny in very different ways which so, which is some of, that's part of the joy of getting to watch both of you do that part just knowing right. you both personally but knowing what you do on stage is completely different and you took very different approaches to the role i think so uh, but yeah. then when it was like he's the guy i went okay well the, you know I, then it's not my gig and that's fine and then right so it didn't happen then and then they brought me back in later for the friend role for ned mm-hmm. and that didn't work out uh and then they brought me again later to uh, be the understudy and they said well you'll have to learn guitar and i said well you'll have to teach me guitar uh-huh. and, <laughs> so <laughs> i learned guitar and then i got to do it a little bit which is great that's right and then uh, just recently last year the last show before the shutdown i did android weber's unmasked at the paper mill playhouse which is this like new kind of review of all of his career which was cool to be like with the man doing the thing you know here's a fun fact about our friend andrew cober he has appeared in every single one of my concerts in new york City over the last 10 years. Such an impressive feat that we created an award for him for his perfect attendance. It's called the Clobby Award, and you can watch the ceremony on YouTube. Go check it out. So yeah, that is really cool that you've gotten to work with one of your idols and, and uh, arguably one of your obsessions, as you put it. You kind Absolutely. of have this, this musical theater obsession with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, now that we've kind of started to veer into the career, let's just dive in. Okay. Uh, I you, So... It's going to start back with your dad again. And again, the, okay. you posted this picture. I mentioned this earlier, but I didn't right. even qualify what Experience the picture was. Luncher. Yes. It was a picture of your father and the caption was a quote of his, correct? Your no. dad's name. So this was from the videos that I'm converting. Yes. I found one that said like Cobra 1988. And I went, okay. I popped it uh-huh. in. And it was a recording of the local news in Cleveland where they were doing a feature on business lunching and how this was like a new, a new <laughs> what was that? trend. <laughs> <laughs> business lunching you can have cocaine at lunch <laughs> well it was like a new in cleveland i guess it had just come to cleveland yes the the, is the, this like the two martini <laughs> lunch kind of idea so, yeah yeah and they the reporter visited this place called the clevelander club which was like a um you know like a, a white tablecloth business lunchy kind of place in sure. the late 80s and they interviewed my dad <laughs> and I don't think I'd ever seen this interview, but it's, you know, they put a little on the bottom of the screen. They put, it's called a Chiron. Yes. I know from my wife who used to work in news. Yes. And yes. it said, Arthur Cobra, experienced luncher. Experienced luncher. You know that? what? I love that this, his, his two uh, personalities or, or passions or, or career paths, they, from your mouth have both been so weirdly vague because it's business your dad just does business yeah. and also he's, he's an experienced luncher. So I'm kind yeah. of gathering your dad was probably involved in organized crime. <laughs> yeah, he may have been. Uh, I don't, I mean, he, he was a lot of things. Like he was a huge, he's the biggest Yankees fan you'll ever meet in your entire life. He and was you in, guys never lived in New York, correct? He was from New York. He was born and raised in the Bronx and. Um, gotcha. Okay. Actually, it's kind of amazing because he, he was born in the thirties in the Bronx. And so he grew up this Yankees fan. And wow. he would just, these were the days where he could go just hang around the player's entrance at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. And so we have this autograph book. I have it in the attic in, the, in our safe with like Babe Ruth's autograph and DiMaggio and Mantle and like oh all my of these. God. He was around for all of that. 
And so we moved to Ohio and I was always, this is another thing that I'm sure colored a lot of what I've become, which is that like, I was raised in Ohio. I grew up in Ohio, but I was a Yankees fan. I was always raised with this right. attitude of like, we're, I know we're in Ohio, but like, right. you're, you're a New Yorker in your blood. And I was wow. like, okay. And so I think as soon as the opportunity came to move to New York, I did like, did you we, already feel at home? Of, uh, I yeah, mean, I mean, when you when you moved here, was it was it but like was it just kind of a seamless like I live here now I'm a New Yorker because I know something about you is that you were a, a vocal proud New Yorker. Yeah, it's it's um I am. There it took a long time for me to kind of like shed the imposter syndrome of it. The like I, sure. I do a thing I, I'm very prone to like looking at a circumstance from a bird's eye view as opposed to just kind of being inside of it. And really for like five years after moving to New York, I would longer 10 years, I would catch myself being like, look at me on yeah. the subway. Yeah. Like, just, instead of just like, being, <laughs> like, it was like a thing. Like I am really doing it now. On yeah. The C train. I don't know why I thought it was, but like, I, I was so enamored of the like New Yorkerness of it all. And still right. am a lot of times if I'm in the city. Um, was there a part of you that when you got to New York, like I had a lot of pride in like, yes, the C train, but like on the day that I saw a homeless man poo on the C train, I was like, <laughs> now I'm a New Yorker. Like I was a visitor until I saw that shit. Yeah. I felt that way a little bit when I got mugged. I got mugged when I was, you know, younger and I, I sort of went like, all right, well, that was one. Now I've done that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. You cross it off the list. I've been mugged twice in New Ugh. York. It's so scary. Isn't that's so scary? It's, but like, you know, it's a little stripe on my badges of honor here a little yeah, bit. Exactly. It is scary, but you know, you kind of feel tougher and, and cooler for it almost. Yeah. And I remember getting my first acting job in New York. Yeah. And thinking like, this is it. Like, this is the whole thing. This is like everything I wanted. Like and to get to do the thing I do was, here was uh, hair at Shakespeare in the Park. Yeah, it's my man. I'm Okay. So we're going to go right into hair. Uh, okay. So I saw you in Shakespeare in the Park. Became an immediate fan of the show, as everybody mm. did. This was like of the era when I think Spring Awakening was just kicking the bucket, or or it was I think just it that. Had, yeah, it just it had just sort of happened. I think it had just finished. And there was a next to normal going on. There was an in the heights going on, and culturally Broadway was really exciting right then. And it was like yeah. a perfect time for hair to kind of uh, come back out. And when you hear a background like you've had and uh, the obsessions you've had, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Gilbert and Sullivan playing daddy warbucks and in my eyes i know you didn't but let's just say you played widow peru i think you'd be a great widow peru you ended up playing an amazing margaret mead in hair but my story about hair and i think i've told you this before but i think it's it's worth uh some of our listeners whoever they might be my mom and the sock puppet um hearing this that i my brother i had just moved to new york this is like 2009 is that when you guys were on broadway yeah okay so i moved out here 2008 uh, and I go see, my brother comes to visit me in 2009. We get tickets to go see hair. We also have the amazing idea that I'm sure that many people who went to see hair had, which Everyone. was have as many pot cookies as we could, in, we could inhale with our mouths. Yeah. And, uh, we also made the classic mistake of we're, we don't feel it. At, we're not feeling anything yet. Um, let's go in further. Let's, let's, just let's keep have going. another five or six cookies. Sure. So my brother and I, by the time the show started, became absolute furniture, and we were we were <laughs> completely uh, a, a blaze and a gaze, and we were sure. up in a box in the theater, up in the side. Uh-huh. Now this is hair, and somebody yep. I just talked to recently compared hair to cats in the sense that oh. people are crawling on you basically yeah, during, the whole show, during the whole show. Wait, you guys, did, come were out you in my box period. where I where where I went? Were you there? Uh, stage. Right box. House right. I was. I, yeah. I how, I yeah. Sorry. It. House right. Yeah. So you must I have appeared come there up and, as Margaret and, Mead and harassed me. But I, all yeah. I remember, yes, you appeared there as Margaret Mead. I, this is all making sense. But yeah. it was kind of without context of the show. First of mm. all, I got so out of my mind that I didn't sit. I didn't properly sit the whole time. I was squatting above my seat because I didn't <laughs> trust that there was a chair beneath me. I sure. was not in a good state of mind. Uh, Someone in your cast, and I forget who it was, told me that if they spot someone who looks a little under the influence of something in the audience, they make it a point to extra harass and uh, boggle the mind of said person. And I certainly felt that way 
to the point that I think I, I thought I was going to start dating one of the cast members at some point, just based on the whispers they were saying into my ear. Someone kissed my neck way too inappropriately. That could have been you. Well, um, no, listen, it wouldn't have been me because I did not engage in any of that. I, I went to hmm. extraordinary lengths to avoid going into the audience at all costs. I don't okay. like to be out why, there. Why is that? Is I so don't want to be out there. I don't want to be there. And <laughs> if I'm in the audience, I don't want you coming to me either. I want a full fourth wall. I want it solid and sturdy. I don't yeah. want anyone near me. Don't come over here. I Just let me That's, do this. This is why you have mystique, is you don't allow people in. You have been doing it since your big star role in hair. We, uh, we had a thing. There was always, there were several moments in the show when the cast would go into the audience and dance yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And I was always, always, like when we were rehearsing those numbers and learning those numbers, I was like, maybe I should, go, I could go like jam with the band upstage on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> should I go? Or like, I would be like, you know, I think... I, I do have this costume change coming up and this would be a perfect time for me to kind of slip out and go ahead yeah. and start that. Cause I don't think I, if I went out there, I don't know if I'd have time. Are these conversations you have with like the director? Yeah. yeah. Cause oh, I don't okay. want to go out there. I don't want to be out there. I'm going to make note of something now. I'm learning about you. I've always been obsessed with you, but I'm now I'm really obsessed with these two things that you've pointed out. You are analytical to mm. a point that you can seriously carve out your destination. You did it. That's how you became popular for that half a year is you were taking note on what clicks did what and who was who. And here you're saying, how can I get out of the thing that makes me uncomfortable, but still make me look like I'm a team player and I am part <laughs> of this cast. And you, you finagled your way to avoid the audience uh, uh, interruptions, I would call them, because it is distracting. Yeah. You know, <laughs> complaining about hair like, like 10 years later. <laughs> yeah, this is our grievance. <laughs> um, it's uh, I've always been pretty clear on like what I want to do and yeah. like how I think the best way to go about it. it, it you know, I uh, it's, it's it's not a cool thing to say, but I'm going to be very honest about it, which is that like Please. when I was younger in college and first few years coming out of college, I was less interested in being a really good actor than I was in being a Broadway actor. You know, I, like, yeah. I, I, it was less important to me to be really good at it or even really successful than it was to live and project the lifestyle that I had imagined. Right. Um, there was, there was an allure of Broadway that you had in mind and you wanted yeah. to kind of live within that, that frame. Yes. Is that what you're yes. saying? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, if I'm being honest, part of the reason that like when we met, for example, I was still mm -hmm. hanging out and doing stuff, which is against my nature. I don't like being out late or early. I don't like being out. That and having so, been said, please, I got to thank you very much for taking all the time now that I know how much you fucking hate it for doing <laughs> any of my concerts in the past. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Well, uh, you know, but that's, it's all about context, right? Like if I'm doing one of your concerts, mm -hmm. I know what it is. I know how to show up. I know what soundcheck's going to be like. I know how to do my song. You know exactly when to order that Uber and get the hell out of there. Afterwards. Exactly. Because yeah. like the hang after is just like amorphous thing and i don't always enjoy it and it's like usually crowded and i have to talk to people i don't know and i i don't like all that stuff well hold on let me ask you a question here because it was your idea of the broadway actor did that not include these like soirees and after parties and no it did that's the thing that's why i was doing it when i met you because i was still hanging on to that thing oh, i see it i see it wasn't okay. until i had done a couple of more broadway shows and that i was able to kind of like release this image of whatever i was trying to do yeah. and just like it's the same with living in new york right like i could I, I was able to stop like putting it on and looking at it and just do it and that was the biggest difference to me and that's when i stopped hanging out after gigs right because it was it was like i can actually just do the i let go of the fomo of it and was able to just like do the parts i like because yeah. it's the thing I like to do. It's the thing I'm good at and I can do it and go home and live my life. And I'm not missing anything mm. because the thing that I want to be doing is elsewhere. So the obsession of evolves basically. I mean like what, what you kind of, you, you create this path towards something and then that path continues to change and change and change. You never really land in an area. Well, your goals shift, right? Like now, uh, for example, like I, 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 I've, 
I don't think I'm trying to prove myself as much anymore as like an actor. I think that I, I have a solid enough track record that, you know, I, I think that I, ladies I and gentlemen, he is saying all these words with six, what is that? <laughs> six, seven Broadway posters of shows he has done behind him right now. I was only in a little bit of some of them. And so I, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think that I I'm, I I now know that it's not like a fluke. It took like four of them to know that to really believe that it's not a fluke. But now I believe yeah. it's not a fluke. And so the thing I do is the thing I do, and yeah. it's something I want to be really good at. Uh, yeah, because I care about being good at what I do. But it's not who I am anymore. And right. part of that is I think a level of uh, experience, and part of it also is just like reprioritizing of getting older getting married and becoming a parent right like sure, sure. providing for my family is the priority and oh, see if... i'd be i'd be so resentful of a kid right now i'd be looking <laughs> at my son being like you stopped my dreams from happening well but it's especially like the pandemic has been really interestingly kind of like sorry, repositioning for me pan, pan, there's a thing pan. right now where the uh, uh they've got all the germs are outside they're all oh outside. god this is sure, how I explain okay. it to Asher. I'm like, there's germs everywhere. Yeah, that my nephew does the same thing. He goes, we yeah. can't trick or treat this year because of germs. I go, because oh, of man, the germs. That's, I wish that's how they t- talked about it on the news. <laughs> yeah. Wow, there's germs today. Yeah. yeah, I always think of it like the germs with like capitalized T and G, like the yeah. germs. So, um, <laughs> but it's I've sort of realized that like l- l- we're in an incredibly fortunate position where my wife's career is able to provide for all of us. Yeah, and it's not a scary time for us in that way. Um, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, which is a huge relief, and I, I understand that. But I also know that, like, if that weren't the case, I've sort of been reckoning with it. I haven't performed now in what, like, eight months or something. Yeah. Um, I'm really at a place where, like, if if I don't get to perform again, that's okay. My 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 priority is not doing the thing because it's the thing I said I would do. the The thing I said I would do now, the more important thing, is take care of my family in the in the ways that are available to me. It's, I always say like I'm a craftsman instead of an artist. I, I can sing and act pretty well. And so because those are the tools that I have in my box, this is the thing I do for a living. Right. If I didn't have those tools, I would do something else. You know what I mean? Like if those, and I think I would be as happy doing it. What would you do? That's a, that's a good question. And you kind of brought up something I, w- I was going to, I was going to gear toward anyway, which was, you know, your, your take on being an artist per se, as you, you, we talked about it earlier, some days ago where you kind of have a blue collar mentality to uh, right. the job. It's like, well, there's this a gig is... and I'm going to get another gig and then I'm going to get another gig. And you look at your resume. Holy fucking shit. Look behind you. Beautiful. The Carol King musical, lame is hair. Yeah. Sunday in the Park with George. Is that what that one is over there? That one's over there. There's a, the, a, I've been lucky. She loves me. That's the yeah, other one. School of Rock. Very, a, a varied career. A varied career. You That's know, nice. none of these shows match. I think that, and this is something that I, I've talked about before, and I've talked about with you and the boys uh, before, especially mm-hmm. like when we were making that show that we made together. Mm-hmm. The, um, oh, what the hell is it called? The Morons Happy Hour. There it is. Yeah. Uh, you, the three of you, we all, we all should have been arrested that night, by the way. Yeah, I'm shocked. yeah. we still might be. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the three of you are writers, and I am not. And well, we're gonna have an argument right away. Cobra. That's fine, but let me finish my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I have an argument. I am not the kind of artist that can create from a void. I can't yeah. take nothing and make something. It's not a skill I have, and it's not an interest I have. Okay. But I am pretty good, I think, and getting better, hopefully, at taking a thing and making it more interesting or looking at it from a different angle or breathing some kind of uh, interesting take into it or whatever. So the interpretation is your writing skills. Exactly. Well, I think I'm a, an interpretive artist and not a creative artist. And it, it's, it sounds like a pretty pretentious distinction, but I think... No, I think that's a good distinction. ...that I kind of hang my hat on. Like, I... Because... I, I think my creativity lies in interpretation as opposed to like birthing something anew, which is not like the idea of sitting down like you do mm-hmm. and where there was nothing making there be a song there mm-hmm. is, is, is not only like scary to me, but also uninteresting. Like I, here's, I no it all comes back to do that. It comes back to what you said earlier. You, you have no drive to do that, but it's not that you lack the skill set. It is you're lazy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, no, really like don't you think that most of your work comes out of the fact that 
you have something you want to share or something you want to express? Most of my work in particular comes from the fact that I'm a shell of a broken human being okay. with a heart of stone. Yeah. You can't come at me with the real questions and then dodge them. Okay. You <laughs> write music because you have something inside Fair. of you that wants to get out, right? Yes. Correct. Okay. You're right. I, I, I don't feel have like that I communicate thing. that way. Yeah. My thing is that I don't have that. There's nothing, the things that I want to communicate, I communicate through other means. There's, there's no part of me that's like, this is a song or a poem or a painting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, even the stuff like the stories of my life or ideas that I might have for like, that could be a script, that could be a novel. I, what I want to do with them is give them to someone who has the uh, the talent and the drive to make those things. Because Who will write like, them hey. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be lazy. That's what I go back to. I'm also lazy. I am also lazy. (laughs) You're self-proclaimed lazy. No, no, I'll get off of the lazy thing. I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. Actually, well, you're lazy in in many other ways, but it sounds like you found your your communication skill through the interpretation. I feel like I communicate better by writing these these thoughts out. They have to get out, or they turn into something horrible like hemorrhoids. Right, right, right. Which you do have pretty ordinarily anyway. Which yeah brings me to my next topic: hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids. Uh, because <laughs> we're, we're getting brought to you by Preparation H. Oh, that would be a great be a sponsor. Really okay, we're gonna uh, somebody make a note. Thank great. you, Debbie? Sasha. Sasha's great. making a note. Terrific. Uh, we don't have a Sasha. There's nobody here with me. Um, before we round this out, we've right. talked a lot today. God, it's, I've actually really enjoyed chatting with you today. We never really we we don't get into it this way. I have a good time with you regardless, but I I really did learn some stuff here. It's been fun. And I've always had a little obsession with Andrew Kober, uh, a little bit, frankly, more than the other two pals in our friend group, only because I know the least My about mystique. you. So, <laughs> yeah, but it's you know that thing you were talking about old, that earlier it was like you kind of give off this older person presence. Not that you're old, but you see, you have this 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 father esque command of a conversation. And I, it's like you always, I always look up to you in that respect, but I do it blindly without knowing, (laughs) (laughs) without knowing any, you could be a murderer for all I know. I have no idea. Don't probe Um, it too much or it starts to fall apart very quickly. So we've talked about the shows you've done. I've just kind of rattled off the resume because frankly, everybody go IBDB this guy, go look him up on the uh, Broadway database if you need to. He's got a really great resume. Andrew Kober. People care. People care. Don't say who cares. You're on cast albums and you're, 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 you've done amazing things that many people have not. And frankly, you do it in such a low-key level in a non-braggadoche way that I would, by the way. I talk about the fact that I'm writing Karate Kid every waking minute that I can. <laughs> and I know I'm insufferable. But you really let it be your career and you have a kid and you're happy doing the thing. You, you, you've well described yourself. But my That's question it. is, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I kind of want to bookend this with, uh, your father, because that's what yep. got me so interested. You, you're on the Tonys uh, after Hair is this uh, revival phenomenon that it was. Yeah. Your your father passed away three, four years before this. Uh, yeah, that's about right. About four and, years. And you talked about earlier the skill sets you have of charm, being able to hold a room and have an adult conversation. That is so pertinent and important in the career of theater. The fact that your dad is is a hardcore Yankee fan, but also loved the jingle of a Gilbert and Sullivan. Uh, these these are these are integral parts of your upbringing. How did it feel? I want to go to the Tonys night when you're performing on the Tonys because that seems mm-hmm. out of body, right? You've done it a couple yeah. times now, but that first one must have been so out of body when you were singing Let the Sun Shine In with the cast of hair. It was beautiful. I remember that Tony performance very well. Your dad's not around to see it. Did any thought of, I wish he was here, go through your mind? Did any thought of, I I know he's watching or any of that kind of thing? I, I want to know what the, the the relationship continued to be at that point in your life. You know, I um, I don't, I don't really subscribe to any like I think he's watching of it. Um, yeah. I think that he, you know, but when he died, I was already at Carnegie Mellon, and I, I, I think as I've sort of had um, professional successes or, or personal uh, successes. Success is, feels like a re- weird word for it, but like as I as I've you know that's exactly what they and, are. Yeah, these are all I've you know, got married and had a kid and all that stuff. I think yeah. um, I remember the moment that I got that acceptance letter from Carnegie Mellon because it was so unexpected, right? It wasn't like I right. had applied and auditioned. We just got a letter out of the blue a couple of weeks after I had um, come home from the pre college thing, 
And I, I really specifically remember my dad's reaction. Like, I remember how excited he was and how surprised he was. And I remember seeing in his eyes, like, the that he thought I was going to do it. Because it, Carnegie has a very good reputation and, and it did then. And I remember him thinking, like, I, I remember seeing in him that he thought I was going to make it. And even if he didn't get to be there for the making it, yeah, I, I, I really know that he knew I would, <clears throat> that he really trusted and knew that I would. Yeah. And he had all the faith in you. Yeah. And, and really the part of it that I find the, and even at the time I remember like on the day finding the most satisfying that I was doing the thing that I wanted to do more than anything else. And it could have been anything, but yeah. I remember I, I, I have achieved the thing I wanted more than anything else. And I'm doing it in New York city. I remember that being the thing for me that he would have lost his mind over yeah. that. Like I, I was at, at, I had kind of climbed the mountain of the, of the field that I had chosen and that I got to do it in a place that I still very much think of as his place. Like it's yeah. so, it's so tied to him for me. Yeah. Uh, Cause like he had a, he was, the, you know, he was the only dad in my whole school with a New York accent. Like he, he he's, he, your dad new- was in the mafia. There's no <laughs> question about it. <laughs> the more you say about him, <laughs> business. Uh, <laughs> hey, Ben, I mean, it's unclear. I got to ask some more questions about that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just remember thinking like, I got to do the thing that I do in the place that was so important to him. Yeah. And uh, feeling very, very proud of that. And, uh, you know, even like meeting Farah, who never got to meet him or, or having Asher you know, and, and talking about him and teaching Asher about him, which has been really, really cool. I, yes. I, I really dwell on the fact that, you know, Asher's growing up in New Jersey. We live in New Jersey, but he was born in New York City. Yes. And I remind him of that constantly. That is a <laughs> cool, like, hey, that is a cool thing. <laughs> like, it is. Like, you can be from wherever you want. I know you're growing up in Jersey. That's fine. You can live wherever you want. You were born in Manhattan, kid. That's right, man. You're Feather in your thing. cap. Yes, you sir. Can, yes, sir. Like, even when I travel when we used to travel, if I was somewhere else and, you know, you in another country and where are you from? I always said New York. I never said America, especially the last few years. That's gotten very dicey to say you're American. I but agree. I, I have always been very proud to say I'm a New Yorker. I'm from yes. New York. That is a yes. big part of my kind of chosen identity. Yeah. And so I'm drilling that into Asher now, which I know is just Arthur Cover speaking through me. That's amazing. And I, yes, drilling it and beat him into submission. That's great. Because <laughs> own- it does make him better than other people. It does. Absolutely. I don't mind a little New York pretension. Come on. Damn it. That's right. <laughs> um, Andrew Kober, once upon a time, obsessed with Gilbert and Sullivan. I'm not going to take that away from you. I'm sure you probably still are to some respect. You should respect. check them out, man. There, there's, there's some Check them out, bro. They- <laughs> check them out. Man, I think their out. latest album just dropped. You should check them out. <laughs> check out Gilbert. It's all I'm telling you what. Doily Cart. But once upon a time, obsessed with Andrew Lloyd Webber, got to work with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, you, your father showed you the importance of New York and you've made that an obsession and you've created an entire career on the fact that you wanted to be a Broadway actor. It doesn't get more New York than that. You're a very proud New Yorker. Uh, Andrew Cobra, I'm just wrapping us up here. I'm going to ask you one final question. Oh God. If there are a word, is there a TV show? Is there anything you're currently obsessed with you want to tell the viewers about they should go check out that maybe they're not privy to? And on the back end of that, is there anything we haven't covered here today that people might not know about you that you're willing to share? The answer can be no, but I'm going to ask everybody this question. Um, well, okay. Uh, I just read a novel that I really loved. It's a mystery novel. It's called The mm. Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. And sounds long. It's not. Oh, okay. It's not. Um, and I got it at another recommendation of mine, which is the library. I love the library. So when you step over the first homeless person, as you're entering the library, (laughs) the public library, for those of you who have forgotten, that's where they house books. (laughs) That's where the books are. Yeah. Books with paper. You can just have them. And you know, our our library on the little receipt that tells you the due date, it says like, you just saved $35. I'm like, hell yeah. Thanks, I think you just you just killed two birds with this. Is that you just offered a great new obsession, a recommendation of a book, and you also told us something that many people probably don't know about you is that you go to a libraries and also libraries exist. So that's right. something. 
I have a lot of, and like people, are, I have hobbies. Like I like, you know, I, I, I like uh, aviation. I like yes. motor scooters. Yes. Uh, I like credit card points and miles. I've got some wonderful hobbies that I, I like. A lot of time I on. like that you like you like motor Trains. scooters. You like motor scooters to the yeah. Modes of transportation are really your. Thing. I'm really into transportation and infrastructure. Yeah. But when Andrew well, or Alex Brightman was in School of Rock, it was Ugh. like, oh, okay, you're the lead of a show now. Buy me a Vespa. Buy me a that Vespa. Was, it, was a, it was a demand rather than an ask, and I really appreciate the ballsiness he, of that. And did he ever? No. No, he nope. owes you one, in fact. Because I, I bought one myself because I was wait, I got tired of waiting. He still owes you one. You should get another yeah, one. You I just know. have to. A collection. I've done a lot for you. I think there, you have a collection of rakes in your backyard, and you're welcome. They so. all broke, by the way. <laughs> how you sent me like i think three or four rakes when we bought this house Mm -hmm. and the final one just broke the other day i had to go to home depot yesterday and replace it that's amazing okay well i bought you a bunch of cheap rakes off of amazon uh just to fill people in andrew cover bought a house in the suburbs and for some reason i was so obsessed with the idea of him raking his lawn that i bought him an array a large array of random sized rakes and brooms too i think and brooms yes i sent many a broom (laughs) Uh, well, from Uncle Broomy here, Andrew Cobert, I, I just got to say thanks so much for doing this. You were my first you, interview. I'm and so we proud. did it. Uh, thanks. Thanks for doing this, for real. We did this on Election Day, which is a stressful uh, time. And yeah, so Wisconsin the fact that we were been talking for Biden. Oh, tell me, what's it say? Joe Biden won Wisconsin. Flipping hey! Out. Okay. Well, it looks like we, we're heading in the right direction. Hopefully, I hope so. fingers crossed. Um, uh, I love you, buddy. So sad. I love you too, man. Um, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Now We're Talking with me, Drew Gasparini. Now We're Talking is a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find out more about me and this podcast at bpn.fm slash now we're talking or on Instagram, of course, at Drew Gasparini. Special thanks to our man, Andrew Clobby Cober. And thanks to the listeners, of course. Make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts and keep tuning in for more amazing guests. Small thought. Do you guys think that Crayola should come out with a color called Baby Poo Green? All right. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.